On this week's episode, we welcome attorney Ben Crump and panel. We're here to talk about the educational system, Pastor Smith. What, why did, I want to read a quote to you, uh, if I can pull it up quickly. Um, the, the decline of our cities has been hastened by the continued rise in crime, strained race relations, failing quality of public education, persistence of abnormal poverty in a rich nation, and a decline in the services to the public. The signs points toward a deterioration of the establishment of a permanent underclass in the cities. How do we specifically reverse the trend? You know, Pastor Smith, this was a question from a journalist during the 1980 debate between Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. And that question is as relevant today as it was 40-some years ago. Why? There are three things that the government owes its citizens. Number one, public safety or quality of life. The issue is crime. Number two, economic opportunity. Jobs for my kids who are now 35 and 40. Three, excellence in education for my grandkids who are now four and five years old. Three things. When they fail in that arena, they fail us and they got to go. Now, let me say one thing. Let me say one other thing. Let me say one other thing. In the city of Baltimore, the city is dominated by one party who for 50 years have pushed the same policies that created the situation we're in. One party. There has only been one party running city council since 1942. 42. I'm 75. That's before I was born, right? One party running the mayor's office since 1967. I had just graduated from high school. One party and their policies have produced this mess that we're in. So I'll say to our mayor, I'll say to our mayor, you didn't create it, you inherited it, but it's your party that created it. Let me say one other thing. If we talk in solutions, I know y'all, African American, I know black folk don't want to hear this. Number one, I got good news, bad news, and worse news. The bad news is we got a problem. The worst news is we is the problem. But here's the good news. Because we are the problem, we are, all, we are also the solution. That's the good news. Let me say one other thing. Let me say one I put in everybody's hand um, a printed copy of Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. You should know who she is. And I was at the location when she was talking about white supremacy and institutional uh, racism. And the African-American crowd went crazy. But then when she turned around and talked about solutions, nobody said a thing. Because her solutions put the responsibility on us to change in order to create change. It's on us. I know you don't want to hear it, but it's on us. April Curley, you are in the school system. You're a former educator. You were there. Yeah. Tell us 
firsthand what needs to change. Yeah. So, you know, thank you for that energy um, and for the call out because we need it. Um, and I, I will just give us some numbers because I'm a teacher. Data is, is important um, because I want to ground us in how big of a problem this is, right? So when we talk about per pupil spending, right, how much money we're spending per student in this city, when we look at the top 100 metropolitan cities around the country, we are spending in the top five. And that means the money is here. We're spending in the top five. Okay, let me give you some other numbers. When we talk about where Maryland ranks in terms of public schools, right, how well we're producing quality students, we're ranked fourth. We're ranked fourth in the entire nation. And so let me be very clear. We had, so, so to, to bridge this, because I want everyone to understand this is a collective effort and a collective issue, because we had a governor in a seat that refused to support Baltimore City, Baltimore City Public Schools, Baltimore teachers. He was not at all concerned with this, the, the disgusting messiness of what was happening in our school system. So let me be very clear. This is an issue across the board, across parties. Okay, our schools are nonpartisan, right? Because all of our children attend our schools. So this is an issue across the board. The last number I'll give is that when we think about what our, what our students are being prepared to do, 9%, only 9%, listen to this number, 9% of our high schoolers are graduating proficient in math. 9%, that means 91% of our kids are leaving school, can't count. 16% of our high schoolers are graduating proficient in English. Do you understand education is freedom? It's freedom. And if our kids aren't getting the education they need and deserve, we are absolutely limiting their life possibilities. Wow. So, you know, when I was a teacher, um, I taught high school social studies at Vivian T. Thomas. And I absolutely worked in a system where from top down, we were asking teachers to do things that were criminal. Okay, we were, we, we were asked to pass kids along that hadn't learned not a concept, not a skill. We, we were forced to pass them along and I refused to do that because it's criminal. Do you understand? So, so we have to think about this holistically because we know our kids need support in all areas, right? They need adequate health care. They need food. They need housing security. They need mental health services. So until we're able to come to this conversation understanding all of the factors that we know impact our kids' lives on a day-to-day -day basis, then we're not really getting to the root of the issue. And I want to declare a state of emergency within Baltimore City Public Schools. This is urgent. It's urgent. And we have people in seats who will drag their feet and say, oh, give us a year, give us two years, give us eight years. And what have they done in that time? Not a thing. And the last thing I'll say is, again, we, you know, put, up, put out an SOS to save our schools, to save our students. Because they're not dying in two years and four years. They're dying right now. Today, our kids are dying because of lack of opportunities within the schools and outside of the schools. And so we have an issue on our hands that needs urgent attention. Can I say something, please? I want to put this in context. It doesn't matter who the governor is, Hogan or West. Let me tell you. Because Adrian Jones and Bill Ferguson runs this state. You know that. Adrian Jones 
and Ferguson run the state. Mr. West ain't gonna make no difference. Mr. Hogan ain't gonna make no difference. They set the budget and they gave the Baltimore City School System $1.6 billion this year. They did that. Did you know that? Not Hogan, but the state legislators, Senate and delegates, uh, Jones and uh, Ferguson, $1.6 billion. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. They got to go. Yeah. The governor is, is irrelevant in this state. The party that runs the state ain't Republican. So he's speaking of Dan Cox and Westmore. Giovanni, you filed the lawsuit. Your wife is a school teacher. Um, why? And what has been the pro- progress and the change to date? Um, the why is because it's the right thing to do. Um, I, I don't. I really don't think there's like any other reason needed. We see the state of our um, education system. We see the crime. Uh, we see the lack of opportunities. I want to imagine a city where you're riding down the road, you're listening to your favorite local Baltimore artist passing by a building that a Baltimore architect built. You go to their dentist, he's from Baltimore. You go to, to Hopkins or to, to Loyola and they're Baltimore professors. Why aren't our primary, communica- our, our primary conversations that we have are which side of town produces the most doctors, lawyers, engineers, entertainers, business owners, tradesmen, why isn't that our primary discussion? So that's the why. Now, uh, right now, we, we have the lawsuit that has been filed, um, and the school system has made their case to throw it out. So right now, we're just in a position to where we're waiting until October uh, to, you know, hopefully the judge will hear our case. Let me, let me come back to you. April, because uh, Attorney Crump and I are here today really to listen. Mm -hmm. This is why we're here. This is why we want people, if you want to go to the mic, we're here to listen and to gather information. What can change immediately that can make a difference in the parents' child's life Mm -hmm. immediately? Mm -hmm. Accountability. Who said it? Who said it? (laughs) It's that, that, that alone, right? Why haven't you heard from any of your school board members or the CEO, every time Fox News comes to me to, to talk, I'm, I'm there. I'm showing up because I have nothing to hide, right? When you refuse to talk to press, to talk to media, to talk to parents, to talk to community members, that lets me know you have something to hide. So that's immediately. But, but I want us to also understand the crisis that we're in going into this upcoming academic year. We are down 800 teachers. We are down 800 teachers that we have to fill in four weeks. Four weeks, you understand? And that, that should be a reflection also of the fact that our, our leadership is failing, our, our teachers, our students, our families. Because, again, if we don't have happy, healthy, uh, equipped teachers to be in classrooms, our kids are the ones suffering. So what are they doing right now to think about the plan to get teachers in the schools ready to go with our students? That's a problem. That is the most immediate thing that needs to happen because we we are not down just 800 teachers, but hundreds of other professionals that we need in our schools, nurses, you know, teacher's aides, you know, health, 
How, right. We, we, we don't have anybody right now to go into schools and actually make sure our schools are going to be safe and ready to go in four weeks when they open. So, so, Pastor, where is the cancer? Okay. What's the reason that teachers don't want to teach in Baltimore City? It ain't the pay. It's the abuse they have to take once they get there. That's right. It's the abuse. Is that it? I'm in and out of the public school systems. I taught at Calvin and Junior High School. I was trained as a teacher before I got my degree as a lawyer. And in that classroom, you have young people who have no respect for authority. That's number one. The solution, and I, I, I know y'all going to get mad because y'all don't want to hear me. I'm going to use the F word. Family. There you go. Family. You know that. You know that. Family. You are where you are today because you're one of ten that grew up on your daddy's farm. Right? And he had authority in your life. Right? And he set boundaries that you didn't cross. And if you cross those boundaries, there were consequences you didn't want to deal with. Am I right? So, here you go. Don't y'all run out and say the preacher used the F word. Make sure you understand his family. <laughs> right? Families with fathers. Right? I'm a baby boomer. We grew up when there was authority in the house, right? And authority when you came out the house. And your mama was representing the authority of your daddy, whether he was at General Motors, Bethlehem Steel, or Gas and Electric. There were boundaries you didn't cross. The neighbors knew what they were, and they enforced those boundaries. You got a whooping in the street before you got one at home. And if you got jacked up by the police, you say, or they say, I'm taking you to juvenile court, I'm taking you home. You say, take me to court, because I don't want to go home. There was authority that we responded to. There were boundaries that were set and borders around us that protected us. We stayed in our community. And the people in our community buoyed us and lifted us up and had expectations and standards for us. And we measured up to them because we didn't want to disappoint them. That's what you're looking for. It will never happen until we go back and we focus on our formation of families with fathers. Now, let me say this. You quoted somebody from 1980, whatever. In 1969, Daniel Patrick Moynihan. The Moynihan Report said this welfare that you're giving black families is going to break that family up. The rules that you're putting out there that keep fathers from coming home and men going to break that family up. And that family began to deteriorate from 1969 to the present. And so that family is dysfunctional. Our kids are dysfunctional. Do you hear what I'm saying? You do recall the Moynihan Report. Go back and read it. The man was prophetic in terms of what he said, and we he was condemned yes. because a certain party didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear that. The great society wanted to put more and more money in. Money wasn't solution. The presence of a dad, a BMW, a black man working was the solution to our problem. You know, a BMW. We're gonna we're, listen. We're gonna. I'm gonna say goodbye. The Giovanni in April. Um, That's good. And there's a reason, Attorney Crump, mm -hmm. 
has not said anything because he's listening. That's why he's here to listen. Um, let's go to audience. Chris Paps, who uh, leads Project Baltimore. You want to put a few things in perspective? Go ahead. Well, you guys have been talking a lot about, obviously, the educational system here. And, and we've been looking into the education system, as you know, Armstrong, in, in Baltimore for the past five years. And the things that we have seen, I, I've noticed like a, a common pattern where a lot of what we have reported, people are saying that they've already known for a long time. Like, for example, a couple months ago, we did a story about Patterson High School, where 77% of the students at that high school are reading at an elementary school level. And we know this because the city schools test kids to see where they are. They don't make those public, but a teacher had leaked us that. And when we did that story, Armstrong, 77% of kids at a high school reading at elementary school levels, a lot of the comments were, yeah, we know this is happening. Like, we've known this has been happening for a long time. But one of the things that, that we were able to do is give it actual data to support what many people had thought was truly happening. And you guys are talking about economic opportunity, economic stability, being able to sustain yourself and your family, and that's where it starts. If you got 77% of kids at a high school reading at an elementary school level, it's tough to get a job and keep employment. Thank you, Chris. Um, go to the mic. Go to the mic. You, you, go, please. First, first let me just say thank you. Uh, uh, Pastor P.M. Smith from opening up the church. I have two points. One point is this. The CEO makes $375,000 a year. That's right. We have to have a measurement performance. We cannot pay $400,000, $300,000 to fail us. We have to see if we start at two fifty. dollars we, we need increments in terms of improvement. But to, but to pay you and to reward you to fail us, we never know what good leadership look like. Secondly, I'm through. We need to demand, because Pastor is right, we are the solution, but we have to speak in a big voice. We have to demand that we need community schools, neighborhood schools, and we need quality schools in every neighborhood. We shouldn't have to bus children from one part of town to the next part of town to get decent education. Thank you, Bill. Yes, ma'am. So question panel. Because I hear a lot about, and I think I spoke and was interviewed by, um, by Elijah Westbrook on Fox. And I think that we all know what the issues are by now in Baltimore City and the state of Maryland, even nationally. Um, the teacher there, thank you, because you have had decades of teachers being intimidated, threatened, for their jobs by lead administrators. We're talking principals now, oh, feel me? So this is not a really racial thing. This is an inter-system leadership thing, okay? The second thing, point that I wanna make before I ask the panel two questions. One. Is one question, one question. then, is when are we going to look at this is good that we're suing, that we have a couple that came and had the courage to start this. And thank God for Ben Crump and for the legal team, okay? But guess what? It hurts people of leadership when there are consequences. We cannot alleviate 
the idea or the ramification of generations that this has done to our young people, to parents. And so what do we do about that? When we already now have the data, we already have the legal facts, okay? Yes, we want to use those facts to actually change and get rid of some of the people of leadership that we know Ask the have questions. destroyed the system. That's the question for But me. the question, Thank you. once we get that, what will be the consequences um, Attorney Crump, because there must be some consequences. You know, millions and millions of tax dollars have went into a failing system. We need to know that these parents, at the end of the day, and when we begin to change that system, that that money will flow back into the taxpayers, into our school system, and that money will be used Thank you. to educate our children and prepare them for a future. Thank you very much. Ben, what's the question? You know the question. You know what she's saying. We don't have to figure it out. We, yes. Well, I think Attorney Scott Martyr and I, we've put forth this very novel legal theory that the taxpayers pay taxes to an educational system and they expect certain results from that investment in education. And what we are saying to the courts at least when we look at the statistics, that the taxpayers are not getting the benefit of what they're paying taxes into. And so it's something that hasn't been done before. And it's based on this premise that it's the system. It's not the teachers. It's not the community who don't want to see the education system work. Because we all want our children to get a quality education, but it's the impediments in the system that we need to change. If you're going down the wrong road, you don't keep going down the wrong road. You stop and say, let's try something else. And that's what we're trying to do, Armstrong, with the lawsuit is get all the stakeholders to the table to say, we can no longer afford to ignore these alarming statistics that just keep hitting us in the face because the education or lack thereof affects every other part of society. It affects, as the preacher said, the uh, jobs because if you don't have quality education in today's society, you can't get the jobs. It affects the criminal justice system. As uh, April Curley said, if you don't have education, your options are limited. And oftentimes our young people resort to crime because they have no other avenues because the education system failed them. Malcolm X said that the education is the passport to the future. If you don't have an education, then your future is severely limited. And that is reality. That's why I thought it was so profound when she said education is freedom. It really is. I grew up in a government housing project in North Carolina, and it was education that was my way out of that very challenging situation. And I'll say this finally, Armstrong, because I did come to listen, uh, and that's what we need 
is everybody to be stakeholders, the community, the faith-based leaders, the business leaders, uh, the law enforcement leaders. We need everybody at the table trying to say, how can we finally fix this? Mm-hmm. That's what we have to do. Um, the great Negro educator, Booker T. Washington, said that it is easier to build up strong children than to try to repair broken men and women. We are tired of trying to repair broken men and women, not just in Baltimore, but in cities and states all across America because the education system did not give them the tools that it takes to be a constructive citizen in American society today. So we will no longer continue to say we're going to try to rebuild what you've broken. Let's get it right the first time. Good. Bishop Nunez? Yes. How do you... It's never too late. And there's so much damage that has been done. But where can we repair? To start having parents to believe that they can send their child to kids, kids to school, and they can get a quality education. They can have real skills. You know, when I was coming along, we had to go to vocational school. It's not just being in the classroom. I had to take carpeting. I had to take welding. I had to do all these things. My parents wanted to make sure that even if I didn't succeed in the classroom, I had a skill that would last me for a lifetime. That is not even available anymore for these kids. Why? I mean, they had homemaking. My sisters could go and sew. They could learn how to cook and do these things. Then none of these things are available now. Why? Well, I, I, I think that one of the issues that we got, and I agree wholeheartedly with uh, my brother here, we have a system that is rotten to the core. And, and our problem is, this is my personal opinion, but our problem is we keep replacing the head and not dealing with the body. How many police commissioners have we had in Baltimore? Too many, somebody said. Uh, okay, the CEO of education. Okay, you get rid of her. Okay, you get rid of this guy, that guy. But the system, the body is, is poison. And so we need to address that issue. That's what he's saying. Everybody get to the table. I'll give you a great example. We talk about a holistic approach to our community for the violence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, to be honest with you, the faith-based community is hardly ever invited to the table. Okay, so here we are, the pastors of the church, dealing with drug addicts, dealing with gangbangers, dealing with prostitutes, dealing with broken homes, uh, a fatherless generation. Uh, but nobody asked us, what do you think? How can you do? They call us to the table when the press comes so that we all look pretty and, and smile and everybody says, oh, they're doing a great job. But you've got to have everybody, everybody sitting at the table. And finally, I'll tell you. I grew up in the streets of New York. My mother died when I was eight years old. My father abandoned the home before I was born. I grew up in the streets. I've been in and out of jail, the drug trade, gangbangers. So don't, don't preach to me about something that I've lived. I didn't go to college to learn this. I've lived it. 
Okay? And when I went back to school, it was a hustle. It was to get over, you know? It was just to pass the test. You know, here's a, here's a Latino taking Spanish in, in high school. Why was I taking Spanish if I knew how to speak Spanish? Because I could get over. That's it. I got a, a, an A. I, I play hooky all, all season long, and then I went to take the exam, and I had an A+, plus and I went forward. Did I learn anything? No. I had to go back, get educated, learn the, the thing all over again so that I can then invest in somebody else's life so that they can become productive in their community. Black History 365, he's joining us. Talk about the importance of this publication, Dr. Mill. Well, I just want to commend everyone who has spoken today. I have done a fantastic job. One of the things that I, I'm a former school superintendent, and I'll talk about um, that's the reason that I came up with this. But education is not only in a crisis, it's in a nefarious crisis. It's the most difficult level of a crisis that we can imagine. The other thing that we have to really understand is that our young people, they're the best form of normal profit, meaning that what we invest in, we reap the dividends later. So we have to take that very seriously. And thirdly, what I've always seen in my career is that we were offering too much schooling and too little education because education allows us to be um, thrivers, builders, business owners, to understand this whole notion of creating products to sell, developing services that we provide, and buying as much real estate as we can to have ownership in our communities. So that's what it's all about. So let me just give you a little journey of how Black History 365 came about. I was one of those students that we're talking about today. I grew up in Rochester, New York, formerly uh, Kodak's home, Xerox. I grew up in probably the worst section of Rochester. And I remember going to school one day, and I was really excited because my teacher said that we're going to learn black history tomorrow. And my mother and father had did their due diligence in letting me know that our history goes back to the beginning of time, that we were the movers and shakers of the universe, of the world. So I said, you know, Mom, I want to wear my favorite suit. Actually, it was my only suit, blue suit. <laughs> but at any rate, so she put it on. I went to school the next day. I wanted to sit in the front of the classroom. And the first thing that I saw was a so-called slave master beating an enslaved person. It contradicted everything that my mother and father said because she tried to infuse in the students. That's where our history started. I remember going home really angry. And my mother grabbed me. She said, one day you're going to be able to tell this story. So I left my job as a superintendent, making a lot of money, being doing a really good job. You can Google me. I was a good superintendent. And I started to write and develop this curriculum. And as a result of that, 70 other educators started to join me. We started our own company. So we realize that education is a matter of life or death for our children. And oftentimes they are receiving a curricula that has no announcement of who they are, what they've been, and what contributions their ancestors have made to society. So we wanted to be very different and deliberate with this work. So we started in ancient Africa. Before Africa had names, they were kingdoms. We started to the beginning, from the beginning of time, where we really looked at the etymology of Africa and found that it was the Garden of Eden where life first started. So we want to go all the way back to let our young people know who they are. Because when they find out who they are, it raises 
the probability of them being successful. See, this is by design what we're talking about today. This is deliberate because how can you disenfranchise the most incredible, amazing people that were ever placed on this earth by doing this? And so once we decided to move away from Africa, we talked about the economic thrust and how this thing that we called enslavement have accumulated and what it was around, uh, around wealth. And then we talk about all the parts of history that people have never even heard of before. Okay? There's so much, so, uh, so it's just so amazing, the contributions that we've, that we've discovered. And if anyone else had this history, it would be front page newspaper every day. So with BH or Black History 365, this is our love letter to the world. And we come all the way to the contemporary time past George Floyd and what we're dealing with, some of the challenges and the vicissitudes that we're experiencing every day. One of the things that we're different, we have QR codes, an integrated technology all throughout the book. We have images that no one has never seen before, dated back to 1553. And then we have music because we're a musical people and everyone loves our music. So we asked the producer who produced for Jay-Z, T.I., Drake, Snoop Dogg to do the music, Dr. Kevin K.O.K. So we have 40 songs because it was our ability to lock our young people into learning and engagement by listening to music. And we say that this work is not just for students, but it's from K to gray. So, you know, and it is important to know all of our history. That's why we wanted to make this a part of the, of the platform today. Dr. Hathaway, you've been listening to this conversation today, and you've certainly been a leader here in Baltimore. Your thoughts about the school system? I'm glad I have uh, Dr. Pierre Smith here. All things work together for the good. We, have to, we cannot discount that the Department of Social Services gets $1.3 billion a year. We can't discount that the city of Baltimore's budget is $3.1 billion a year. When we didn't add this, this, the uh, school systems, 1.6, you're talking about over $6 billion a year that should be for the support and the education of people in Baltimore City. So it is a gross injustice, the amount of money that has been wasted to support people. Now, they'll say, well, where are the counselors? There are 3,000 persons in the Department of Social Services that are trained in counseling. How come they're not supporting the schools? And so when you think about, the, about this whole maze, it's really a maze of how money is sifting in and out of our system, not to the benefit of the people, but to the benefit of those that are in the system. Um, let me go, let's go back to, uh, you wanted to comment. Pastor Kim Smith, about you often hear the, the thing, it's racism, it's racism. You had some thoughts about always blaming all the weird issues always on racism. Okay, a couple of things. When we say it's racism, it's racism, okay, fine. Racism is real, it's rampant, and it's rising. But in Baltimore, every office of any significance is occupied by African Americans. And I'm not ready. I'm not ready to paint it over by saying it's racist. I'm ready to call some Negroes by name. We know who they are. And I'm ready, I'm ready to replace them. I ride by my, I, my trash man live in my neighborhood. 
I'm in the 800 block, he in the 900 block. I see him every day. I holler at him. I give him a little piece of change. I give him some cold water. And I say, look, you are essential, but we letting your boss go. All right? The guy in charge of PDW that's in charge of, hey, he's making $250,000 a year. Why ain't my trash being picked up? Why ain't my recycle being picked up? Why ain't my street clean? Right? So it's not really racism in the traditional sense. If you f a jump on this case, it ain't civil rights, it's criminal. Black on black crime, that's what we experiencing here. Black on black crime. It's not really a civil rights, it, you ordinarily think of it, a white structure, uh, mistreating black folk. These are black folk mistreating black folk, right? And I don't even call them leaders. They are office holders. I knew Perrin Mitchell. I know leadership when I see it. And ain't not one of them a leader. They are office holders. Don't dare call them leaders. You know leadership when you see it. And again, when we talk about institutional racism, the reason your daddy wants you to get a trade, the reason you went to Mervo, and Mervo doesn't teach real trades anymore, the solution and the remedy to institutional racism is individual self-reliance. Individual self-reliance. Let me give you an example. I was practicing law, I was making good money, my toilet got stopped up. My brother-in-law is a plumber. He came, had to dig eight feet down in my backyard to correct my situation. And he gave me the brother-in-law discount. <laughs> when I looked at how much I was, what it was ordinarily be and what I was paying, I said, dang, I'm in the wrong profession. <laughs> I should have been a plumber. <laughs> Institutional racism is remedied by individual self-reliance. I think that's what you're saying. Absolutely. I think that's what you're saying. Oh, yeah. I think that's what you're saying. And I know your daddy believed that. <laughs> I think you are an example. Am I correct? We all are. And, no, I think you are. <laughs> I check your net worth, bro. I know how much you work. <laughs> I check your net worth. Hey, hey, also, I, I do need to clean up something. Because he mentioned that I went to Merv. I did not go to Merville. I went to uh, Baltimore City College oh, okay. uh, High School. I forgive City you. forever. But, but, but I will say, not only did we have academic studies, we also had industrial arts. That's right. You know, so, so it, was a, it wasn't one, one or the no, other. You had it was both. a combination. Right. And we had some of the best teachers that you could ever imagine. Right. I mean, we had a teacher, we had a, we had a history teacher who was our football coach who was so proficient. George Young. He went directly to the NFL as George a general Young. manager. George Young. You know, I know that there are people who have come on the panel that are running for office, this platform endorses no one. People are only invited on this platform because they believe in education. So let me make sure of that, okay? So I want to be clear on that, and I want to welcome the audience. But I want to go, because you have been waiting patiently to ask a question, ma'am. Go ahead. Greeting, everyone. My name is Dr. Estella Ingram Levy, and I thought all of you guys were talking about everything. But let's take back, go back to the topic, education. Now, I dealt with Baltimore City Schools for 37 years. I'm a scientist. I'm a medical scientist and also a physicist. So what happening is when I hear certain stations only pick out one or two schools and they are special ed schools. First of all, learn that audience. 
Baltimore City has some of the best high schools in the nation. For instance, Dunbar, since you didn't know this, Dunbar High School, Baltimore, has more medical doctors, more RNs, EMTs, professional athletes than any school in the United States. Put that on your list. When I was supervisor of high school science and health, every month I met with the 23 other school districts. Poly High School, Baltimore City, had the highest test scores in the state. That's Baltimore City. The news makes it seem like Baltimore City schools are all dummies. And all the teachers are poor. All the teachers are failing. I was Baltimore City Teacher of the Year. And I, not other, no other black person was in the group from Maryland except for me. So the thing is, one lady talked about the well, test. You know, I, I think, I, I think it's because only about five minutes left. I do think it's very important to tell the story about Baltimore, because I've said that before. It's important yeah. to tell the good news and the whole story yeah. about Baltimore, and people need to hear that story. You're joining us. Um, um, talk about education and what we need to do um, to empower people to change the system so that kids can be educated. So, uh, obviously, my name is Jordana Schifanelli. I am um, Lieutenant Governor-elect uh, uh, with Dan Cox, uh, and I'm here to speak about quality of education. I'm talking to all of you in English, which is my third language. I was floored to see that my three boys did not have foreign language in kindergarten. The best time to learn a foreign language is in pre-K in the kindergarten. I started learning English in pre-K and kindergarten. I was also very disappointed to see that all of my three kids did not have a lesson in logic. We have to educate our children to, to be able to think for themselves, not to be indoctrinated and regurgitate whatever somebody tells them. We definitely need to teach them logic. They need to understand formal and informal logic. That class does not exist in Maryland schools. That class is essential for little kids to start thinking for themselves and dissecting little fact and another little fact to be able to make properly logical conclusion. Nowadays, you have adults and youth that are walking around talking about birthing parents, talking about uh, boys that can be girls or girls that can be boys. Those are the things that are illogical. Okay, those are the things that are so illogical. They do not belong in schools. They do not belong in any grade. My point to that is that we are hurting our children intentionally and that needs to stop day one then and I get into the office I promise you that Shannon what about all the things that are competing for the kids minds today and what is being taught what is being suggested um, uh, and many people believe that children should learn their ABC's before they learn their LBGTQ's <laughs> so when, when you look at education um, a lot of times things in society started to break down again when the welfare system came in. Um, you broke down the family, you took the dads out, we've already established all that. But here's the thing, you took away <laughs> logic as you called it or critical thinking because if I teach you how to think, you're going to know I'm messing up. So I'm not going to teach you how to think. I'm not going to teach you the process because then you will be able to check me. And that is a big part of what we're seeing right now. 
Um, when we look at leadership in the city, and, and I use the term loosely, and I'm going to say something some of y'all may not like because you may not have the experience to understand it, but good leadership is like good parenting. Your kids are not the best judge of what's best for them. You are. So, to give you just a quick lesson, because civics isn't in schools anymore either, the role of the political parties, both of them, is to get people elected that believe in them. The role of us is to support people that believe as we do, and then... Once they're elected, we help to write the legislation and lobby for the policies that we know will benefit us where we live. Now, we've done half the battle. We've let the parties decide who it is we're going to vote for. We go out and vote, and then we go to sleep. For four years. I think she's hitting on something here uh, in the little time that we have left. Talk about the importance of values. I can say it. Yeah. Okay. Definition of values, the why we do what we do. Why do we do it? Our values. The definition of culture. Anybody remember the temptations? The way we do the things we do. The why we do our values lay the foundation for our culture. What we're dealing with today is a cultural war. Our values conflict with our politicians' values, and they are overwhelming us with their negative, non-productive values. So forget the party labels, forget conservative, forget progressive. Just ask, does this person support my values? If your values don't match my values, you can't get my vote. That's number one. It's values. It's a war of values. Forget the labels, they divide us. But when I look at values, we agree on our values, you got my vote. You and we agree on that, you got my vote. And here's the reality that black folk don't want to hear. Your mama and daddy were more conservative than the average southern white man in this country. Conservative were, and where did they get their values? I hate to tell you, they got it from the Bible. Right? Amen. The values... Amen. So why we do, the what we do, lays the foundation for how we do the things we do. How do we build our lives individually? How do we build our marriages individually? How do we build our families? They're based on values. And I ain't afraid if your values don't match my values later. Um, Attorney Trump. You are, you're here on a listening tour. We've got about a minute left, and uh, your voice, your future, your final thoughts after sitting and listening to the real people of Baltimore. Well, thank you, Armstrong, for the opportunity to hear from the citizens of Baltimore as we launched this uh, landmark lawsuit. And it underscores what we uh, said initially. We need everybody at the table, all the stakeholders, to understand what the values are of what we hope to achieve for our children and their future. We cannot continue to have the reality what we see today where the education system continues to go along and get along. We have to give our children a fighting chance. Thank you for joining us on another episode 